What's up, guys? I'm your host, Kayla Taylor, and we are on the third episode of season two of the Listen to Me Speak podcast. Once again, I want to thank everybody who tuned into last week's episode and supported it, whether you liked it, listened to the episode, or shared it on your social social media. I appreciate it. I don't want to waste any more time, so let's get right into this episode, shall we? So I want to start off by talking about the Batwoman season two premiere. I do want to give a slight spoiler alert for those of you who have not watched the premiere yet. I want you to fast forward because I don't want to spoil anything for you because I know personally I do not like spoilers. So like I said, the season two um, premiere premiered last week. Um, And prior to the announcement of Ruby Rose leaving the show, I was on the fence about watching a second season. However, when it was announced that she was leaving, I thought it was a great opportunity for the showrunners to give the show new life with a more skilled actress. And that's not me throwing shade at all, it's just my opinion. I do not think Ruby Rose is the greatest actress. I didn't think she was a great actress when I saw her on Orange is the New Black, which I think was her like first big, like it was like her breakout role. I didn't think that she was a good actress then, I just think that she's super attractive and that's what a lot of people saw her for and you know that was why she was really getting roles no offense it it definitely wasn't the acting ability um but she is a beautiful woman I will give her that but as for her acting especially on Batwoman I felt like it was one-dimensional it was kind of stale and really the main reason I was watching Batwoman was because I'm a fan of Megan Tandy uh she I was introduced to Megan on Jane by Design, a show I thought was underappreciated. It only lasted, I think, a season before it was canceled. When I saw she was on Batwoman, I was like, all right, I'll give this a chance because even then I wasn't a huge fan of Ruby Rose. And after season one, I was on the fence about watching a second season, but when it was announced that she left or that she was leaving and they were replacing her with another actress, I thought, here's an opportunity to have a better actress uh, a, a, a newer storyline and when I found out the new Batwoman was going to be played by a black woman I decided to give the second season a chance so a little bit about the episode the premiere gives Ryan the young woman who will eventually take over the Batwoman mantle a really solid background story and I love that Ryan didn't rush right into being Batwoman. She wore the suit in the episode and she fights some bad guys, but by the end of the episode, she gives it back and admits that she's just not ready to be a superhero like Kate was. And I also think that Ryan's background story and even her character is a lot stronger than Kate's and it makes for a better story that can actually last for a show rather than just for a couple of seasons. I was kind of getting sick of the back and forth between Kate and her evil twin sister Alice. They were constantly playing a game of cat and mouse and it got boring halfway through the season because despite what Alice um, says to other people, you can tell that she wasn't really trying to kill Batwoman because she did have a soft spot for her, you know, that is her sister, but it just got tiring by the end of season one. Before I watched the premiere, I wondered how much of a part Alice would have in the show now. Um, considering that Kate has now disappeared, but they managed to tie in Ryan's background directly into Alice's story in a way that didn't seem forced at all. Um, A spoiler alert, we find out that Alice's goons killed Ryan's foster mother and now she's out for revenge, which um, now sets up Alice and Batwoman to still have that kind of nemesis relationship. It'll also be more interesting because now that Batwoman isn't Alice's sister, she won't hold back as much. I think the first episode of season two was a good start for the new Batwoman structure, and I can't wait to see how Ryan progresses as Batwoman. Even with season one, they had a strong start, but it kind of waned as the season um, went on. So hopefully in season two, they can keep that momentum going. And, you know, I can't really comment fully on the actress. I think her name is Gervasia. Um, Hopefully I said that right. I can't, you know, really comment fully on her skills as an actress because it's only been one episode. So I'll wait, you know, I'll maybe wait for the first five episodes um, to air before I can kind of get a sense of if she's going to be a good Batwoman or not. Because like I mentioned, she was in the suit only for a little bit. Um, I think it's a real skill playing a superhero because for me, if I put on a suit, I would feel kind of silly like 
jumping around, pretending like I'm flying and pretending like I'm shooting lasers out of my eyes. Like I would, it would feel forced for me and I'd feel kind of corny. So I feel like it's a real skill playing a superhero because um, you have to really make the audience believe you know, what we're seeing. You have to make us believe you can really fly. You have to make us really believe that you can shoot fire out of your hands. So um, I will definitely sit um, and watch and maybe wait six, five or six episodes before I fully judge her as an actress. Moving on from Batwoman, I also wanted to talk about Gronish and another spoiler alert for that too. Um, Gronish also returned for the new year. Their premiere was last week. And can I just say that I'm so glad that Aaron and Zoe aren't in a relationship? I don't know how popular that um, opinion is because, again, I don't... As I've gotten older, I've kind of gotten away from looking at um, fandoms and their reactions to certain couples and, and um, plot lines just because I don't have the time and, you know, whatever. So I don't know how popular the Zoe and Aaron relationship is, but I find them to be really annoying not so much in the beginning, but as the show went on, I was kind of tired of their back and forth. Um, but last year, Zoe and Aaron kissed. They actually kissed a couple of times, I think. Um, and throughout the show, they've had a will they, won't they, like I've mentioned before. And like I said, it was extremely annoying, especially when it got in the way of Zoe and Luca's relationship. Now, honestly, I didn't think that Zoe and Luca were built to last, but I do think that Luca was a better fit for Zoe than Aaron was. And when they got together, I wasn't mad at it. So the fact that they kind of, well, they didn't really break up because of Aaron, but they stayed broken up because of Aaron. And um, Luca and, and Aaron already have some tension between each other because of Zoe. But I feel like that annoyed me. I feel like Zoe and Luca could have made it work a little bit longer, but. Again, they didn't really break up because of Aaron, so I can't fully fault him. Um, but if Aaron and Zoe had gotten together instead of her and Luca earlier in the show, I would have made I would have been here for it because it made more sense back then. But as time went on, it seemed like they just weren't meant to be, and Luca became a better fit for her, especially because they're both really into fashion and art and all of that. I was shocked though. Um, when we find out that Aaron met someone else and decide and decided to pursue a relationship with them, considering he and Zoe kind of had something going on between them between them in the first half of the season, so that did catch me off guard. But when he admitted to Zoe that he no longer wanted to wait around for her and continue to allow her to toy with his feelings, I respected it because he had a point. There were several times throughout the series where. Aaron really looked like he was available um, for Zoe and that he really wanted the relationship to work, but Zoe kind of chose other people and other things over their relationship. I mean, it just happened last season, so I could understand where he was coming from. It made a lot of sense. I just think at this point, they're not good for each other because Zoe's too self-obsessed and Aaron is kind of toxic and doesn't always treat women the greatest. I mean, the way he treated Anna when they were kind of hooking up last season, he kind of did her dirty. So um, they're both not perfect um, and that's why they don't work together. I can't really say it's all Zoe, even though it's easy to blame her because um, she is really too into herself and she's got a lot of other issues that I feel like the show hasn't fully addressed yet, but Aaron also isn't perfect. So all in all, I'm happy that they didn't end up together, at least right now. I won't be surprised that if by the end of the show they do end up together because you know how that goes. There's always that one couple that has that really um, slow burn relationship. It takes them forever to finally get their shit together, but eventually by the end of the show they do. Um, I definitely think that they're going to end up being that couple even if I don't agree with it. But hey, in two or three seasons, they may evolve into better people and they may be a better fit together once again. But at this point in time, I do not think so. But Zoe and Aaron weren't the only couple that were having, well, if you can call them a couple, they weren't the only ones having issues because Jazz and Doug also had them. In the beginning of season three, Jazz decides to take a break from Doug because she's also an athlete and the, their relationship became too distracting for her so she decides that they need to take a break and in real life we all know that taking a break from a relationship just isn't a good idea but especially on shows like Friends we've sh we've seen firsthand why taking a break in a relationship really is not the greatest idea and 
in the premiere, Jazz and Doug end up coming to this conclusion themselves because she feels like it's not fair to Doug because it's like he can't really, he can't be with her, but he also can't date other women. So by the end of the episode, they decide mutually to just break up, which I think is for the best at this time. I do love Jazz and Doug as a couple, um, but I also understand being super ambitious and when you have a career like the one that Jazz plans to have, like she wants to go to the Olympics, sometimes you have to sacrifice relationships in order to get there. It sucks, but it is what it is unless you're one of those people that can handle both and Jazz clearly isn't. There were also rumors about, okay, so Jazz and Doug are played um, by Diggy Simmons and Chloe from Chloe and Hallie. And um, there were rumors that they were kind of seeing each other last year, but that they broke up. And then there were also rumors that Chloe and Hallie's um, song Forgive Me that dropped last year was about Diggy. Um, I don't know how true any of this is, but if it is true, it does make sense that their characters are no longer in a relationship because you know how that goes. You break up in real life and then you don't really want to film together um, anymore. So they had the characters break up. Like I said, I don't know how true it is, but if it is true, I'm not surprised that their um, characters ended up splitting, but it sucks because, you know, as a fan of the show, I really did like their characters together, but, you know, when the episode ended, the the state of their relationship, they were on good terms, and it kind of ended with them, maybe we could get back together in the future, so maybe Doug and Jazz will be able to um, repair their relationship. I do hope that... um, they give Sky, um, who was played by Hallie, I do hope they give her a bigger storyline this half of the season because her Hallie's comedic timing is incredible. Um, once she became 18 and they were able to give her more screen time because, you know, labor laws. Once she was able to get more screen time, she quickly became one of my favorite characters because, again, her character is so witty. She's hilarious. She's not with the bullshit. And I have the feeling that um, Hallie and Sky are not that much different from each other. So hopefully this season they give her more storylines. Um, but I don't know how likely that's going to be considering that Hallie is also filming for The Little Mermaid. So I'm pretty sure she is not going to be in this part of the season as much as I would like her to be because of that. All in all, though, Grownish is one of my favorite shows out right now. So I'm really excited that it's finally back and I can't wait to see where they take the show. So moving on from Grownish on to Riverdale, Whew, this show. So I want to give another spoiler alert. I think at this point you guys get the the formula every time I talk about a show. If you do watch the show and you haven't seen the episode, you probably should skip forward. Um, I definitely want to say before I really get into the episode that the Betty and Archie storyline came out of nowhere. Now I know in the beginning of the show, it starts with Betty having a crush on Archie, but it's unrequited because he's into Veronica. Now, if they introduce Betty and Archie as a couple before she got with Jughead, and, and I don't really ha- care about either of these relationships, but if the show had started with Betty and Archie together, it would have made sense because she had this huge crush on him. And even though I don't like Betty and Jughead as a couple, I think they're annoying. I do think they're better fit together than Betty with Archie. I feel like um, Betty kind of made Archie into this this perfect being in her head. Um, and she kind of fell in love with the image of Archie, but not really Archie. So the fact that last season they had Betty and Archie all of a sudden kiss each other and then, um, her feelings for Archie kind of never really went away and they're into each other again. I think the storyline came out of nowhere and I think it was like the writer's cheap way of trying to break the couples up before the time jump, because you know how these teen shows go. They do a time jump. Realistically, the person you are with in high school, you're not with anymore unless your high school sweethearts is very rare. And so I feel like it was the writer's cheap way of, you know, introducing the characters as adults um, and putting them with other people because it was already announced that what after the time jump, Veronica's married to somebody else. We'll see how long that marriage lasts. And I feel like that's why they introduced Betty and Archie because as adults, they're probably gonna try to put them together. Um, but again, I don't like Betty and Archie as a couple. Archie and Veronica, to me, um, it makes more sense for them to be broken broken up um, after the time jump because they haven't really been the same since they broke up 
the season beforehand. I think it was season four where Archie has to run away and he gets attacked by that bear and her Veronica's father is um, after him. So he breaks up with her so that um, she doesn't have to, I guess, choose between him and her, and her father especially because it was looking like um, one of them was going to die. Either Archie was going to end up killing Veronica's father in self-defense or Veronica's father was just going to off Archie. So I think that their split was a good decision, especially because Archie did cheat on Veronica by kissing Betty and cheating to me is a no-go. So, um, and even the way she handled that split to me was with grace because I would have flipped out. And I feel like Archie hasn't been a good boyfriend to Veronica for a long time. And I feel like he deserved an angrier Veronica, but whatever. They decide not to um, tell um, Jughead about Betty and them kissing because, again, it it makes sense for Betty and Jughead to be together more long-term, and since they were in seemingly a good place, they didn't want to kind of disrupt their relationship, but I feel like it's fair to Jughead for Betty to tell him, but it seems like Betty was less affected by that kiss than Archie was. So that's why I really think personally, it's not really about Betty and Archie. It was just Archie being in a really bad place in his life because his father did die and he's trying to figure himself out, his plans after high school. So I feel like he just wasn't in a good space to be in a relationship with Veronica. But that being said, I do think that Jughead definitely deserves to know that his best friend and his girlfriend kissed behind his back. But I have a feeling that it'll either come out in next week's episode or after the time jump. Who knows if they'll still be together. I do remember tweeting, and I say this all the time, that teen shows don't know how to transition its characters into adults properly. I think CW is one of the worst networks with this because they didn't do a good job with One Tree Hill either. (laughs) But that's another story for another episode of the podcast. Moving on from the messy love triangle, though, I think the Cheryl and Tony split was dumb as hell. I think um, despite how awful of a character Cheryl was in the beginning of Riverdale, she's definitely matured a lot. She's become a more likable character. And I think that Cheryl and Tony probably had the, the healthiest relationship out of all the couples on the show. I think their split was rushed um, as well. It came out of nowhere to me. All of a sudden, you know, Tony's ancestors have beef with Cheryl's ancestors, so now they can't be together, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, Vanessa Morgan, who plays Tony, is pregnant in real life, so I don't know if that played a part in having them split because it did seem kind of rushed. Um, I do know that they're writing Tony's pregnancy into the storyline, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I do hope that by the end of the show, they get back together because I think Vanessa and, um, Madeline, they're best friends in real life. They have great chemistry. And like I said, um, they're the most healthy couple on this show. The drama, I'm not going to lie, the drama on the show is really exhausting and cheesy. I don't know why I keep forcing myself, you know, to watch this show. I'm a huge fan of Vanessa Morgan, so when I found out that she was going to be a part of the show, that gave me more of, like, an incentive to watch, but the drama has just gotten so unbelievable, like, it's just, I can't even really describe it. If I were to tell you some of the plot lines that happened on this show, you would really think that I'm talking about a parody or that I'm exaggerating, but that's just how bad the show is. I don't know what runs through the writers' minds, but it's such a popular show that they can do anything at this point. This current plotline is just odd is this Riverdale has been weirdly disturbing for a long time but I think this is like the most disturbing it's been so far um and I hope that it's hit its peak of disturbing content because um if this current season isn't good or it keeps getting creepy I think I'm done with the show despite Vanessa Morgan being on it um because it's just I think season one for Riverdale was it's like best season After season one, it was kind of all downhill from there. I feel like because it's such a hit show that the writers are just writing anything at this point. They're dragging out storylines. They're creating storylines that aren't interesting just because they know people are going to watch. And I'm clearly part of the problem because I tune in every season. But if season five isn't good, I'm definitely not going to tune in for a season six. But I definitely see Riverdale being like a one tree hill where it's going to last for nine or ten seasons. Unless the main cast decides they don't want to do the show anymore. Moving on from Riverdale, the first trailer for Queen Sugar's fifth season dropped on Monday, and I can already tell it's going to be a tough season to get through emotionally. 
The writers and showrunners decided to revamp this upcoming season to fit with the reality of what's currently going on in the world. And can I just say that shows the real talent and skill of these writers because a lot of shows have had to do this where they have to, they had to scrap their current plans for whatever season they were up to to fit in with the real world. And again, you know, we're in a pandemic so they had nothing but time to come up with something creative and time to really work this into the storyline. But I do think that I have to commend the writers for that because out of all the shows I've watched so far, they have done a good job with this. Season 5 of Queen Sugar will tackle COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement and the police brutality. This isn't new for Queen Sugar though because they are a black cast and past storylines have dealt with police brutality. I know this show was going to be more intense um, this year compared to other shows that have tackled the same stuff because Queen Sugar takes place in the South and considering the South is extremely racist, I know this season is going to impact me more emotionally than any other show, especially when they tackled this topic before I got emotional while watching it. Um, it's kind of hard. I think it's important. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important for Hollywood to tackle these topics, especially predominantly white casts. Um, but as a black person, it is kind of, it's, how do I say this? It's exhausting emotionally to continue to relive your trauma over and over again. You know, for black people, this is our reality. You know, every day there's a new case on police brutality of a black person being, um, murdered and you know it seems like last year was different because we were in a pandemic so everybody was kind of forced to watch the news 24 7 so it was more apparent for some people but it's not to me and last year was an emotional year for several reasons but from may to july you know reading the news seeing a a new black person being murdered it was hard. It was an emotional time. There were times I felt angry, sad, numb. And there were times I had to turn away from the news. So now being forced to kind of go back to that place and reliving it, it's only bringing back those negative emotions. So it is daunting when, you know, some of my favorite shows, when I see that they have upcoming episodes or, you know, upcoming storylines dealing with this or them even reenacting, um police brutality. It's triggering, you know, after watching Station 19's finale, I actually had to step away um, and watch something lighter because it was just a lot. So like I said, it's not that they these shows shouldn't tackle these topics, they definitely should, and it's been a long time coming because before this year, it was mostly black shows covering these topics, and I feel like it's the white shows that really need to tackle these topics because a lot of their audiences are very ignorant to black issues. So it is important, it's just kind of hard to relive that trauma. I am still looking forward to Queen Sugar because like I said, I, I love the show and I know that they're gonna tackle these storylines greatly, but it is, watching that trailer, it was kind of like, oh boy, you know, I'm in for it. Um, but I can't wait, outside of that, I can't wait to see um, how they continue last season's storylines and I'm just looking forward to the show. Despite what I said, I am looking forward to the show being back. It seems like there are several shows um, that are back now because we definitely went through a dry spell because of COVID and now, you know, shows have been able to film a little bit more. They have, you know, extra guidelines they have to go by, but these shows have been able to um, all around film. So now they're all back and it's, it's exciting to have a bunch of shows to watch again. Um, keeping in theme with TV-related stuff, yesterday I read on TV Line that Demi Lovato is going to be starring in and executive producing a new show on NBC called Hungry, which is going to be about friends in a support group for issues with food. Um, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I'm really, this show doesn't really sound all that interesting to me. And I think a big reason for that is because, and my friend Isaac and I, we've talked about this. Um, it seems like these days Demi is really kind of made her brand about her past trauma. And it's kind of, it gets repetitive and it gets tired because that's all she talks about in every interview. Like I mentioned last episode, she has a new docu-series, you know, about her relapse. 
And it's, it gets kind of exhausting to hear because it's it's really heavy stuff. And also, it really can't be all that healthy for Demi to constantly be reliving traumatic experiences that she's faced in the past. And I think that um, Demi is kind of in a kind of in a down part of her career right now where I know I'm not the only one, but I haven't really been that interested in hearing new music from Demi because the singles she has released have been extremely underwhelming. And... Um, I think it doesn't help that now she's doing a show as well because her focus should be on her album. I think for me, as a fan of Demi's, I just want to, I just want good music and I don't want her to keep reliving the past. And it's not just Demi either. Justin Bieber has kind of been doing that lately too for the past couple of years where he's reliving his, you know, past constantly. It wasn't that long ago. I think it was last week where he talked there was like the seven year anniversary of his arrest when he was pulled over for a DUI. And I feel like, you know, artists, any human being has the right to share their story and to try to inspire others from going on a different path than they went on. Um, but when you constantly do it every year or every interview, every docu-series, every documentary that you create, every song that you put out is centered around the trauma. After a while, it's like, we want to hear new things. We want to hear um, how you've, we want to hear how you've healed. We want to hear how you've overcome it, how you're moving on from it. But I feel like for the past couple of years, especially since Demi's last overdose, you know, she's centered everything that she does around that. And I feel like, you know, I hope that after this album, she kind of moves away from it. But I'm kind of doubtful of that, especially with this new show that she has coming out. Um, I'm not certain that I'm going to watch the show. I might change my mind if I see the trailer and it looks good, but um, I doubt that. Again, I don't want to sound like an ass. I just want Demi to kind of move forward. Moving on from Demi, I did want to talk about The Bold Type really quick. I just read today that it was renewed for season five, which will also be the final season of the show. I personally think they've told as much of Jane, Kat, and Sutton's story as they could, so I think it's a good idea for it to end at season five. I don't want the storylines to drag because that's a common problem that a lot of shows have these days. Once they reach a season five, season six, the storylines become redundant or, you know, they just, they're just not as good anymore and it just starts to drag. So I'm happy that they're ending the bold type with its fifth season, even though it was one of my favorite shows for a long time. Hopefully they wrap up Kat's storyline in a satisfying way because she's my favorite character on the show and I was very unhappy with her storyline last season. She was just way too out of character. I talked about, you know, how I felt in depth about her character and her storyline last season because the actress also wasn't happy with the storyline for season four. Um, But hopefully now that they're in their final season, they get her storyline right. I do want to say rest in peace to Larry King. He was a legend in the broadcasting community, and it's truly a sad loss. I, um, he ended up passing from COVID, but I know before then he had some health issues. So even though I shouldn't have been too surprised, I was still shocked to read the news. I'm keeping his family and friends in my thoughts and prayers. I also want to say rest in peace to Kobe, Gianna, and the other seven people who tragically passed in that crash last year. My thoughts and prayers are with their family and friends, and hopefully fans of both Kobe and Larry King are being respectful of the people who were close to them and knew them who are still mourning because some people are just very insensitive when it comes to those things. So hopefully they're respecting them and and allowing them to grieve. I did want to also talk about Bridgerton real quick. I know I talked about um, what I thought about the show last week, but it was announced officially that Bridgerton was renewed for a second season. No surprise there because it remained in the top 10 on Netflix since it's come out and nearly everybody has been talking about the show. Season two will be based on Daphne's brother Anthony and his courtship for marriage. I didn't like Anthony at all, so I don't know how good a season focus on him would be. Hopefully the other characters are still heavily involved. You know, obviously, um, TV and movies, when they're based off of books, they do deviate um, from the books eventually. So I won't be surprised if season two is based on book two, but it also 
they add some original stuff to it, especially because a lot of people really loved Bridgerton because they liked the Daphne and Simon relationship. So hopefully it's not all about Anthony. Moving on, Halsey announced that she's officially canceling her manic tour, which isn't a surprise. A few weeks ago, Jojo also announced that she was canceling the Good to Know tour as well. I anticipate that a lot of artists that postponed their tour last year to early 2021 will end up just canceling it because obviously we see that there's no way that they can safely tour. Um, Halsey also announced that she is pregnant, so I guess it was perfect timing. Uh, Maybe that has something to do with it as well. Congratulations. They said it was likely that touring wouldn't officially start back up until the fall. But depending on how quickly they get the vaccine out to us this year, tours could not start until um, 2022. Um, I know Biden said that he is trying to get most U.S. citizens vaccinated by um, the summer. We'll see how true that ends up being because right now only a limited amount of people have been able to get the vaccine, but it's still early in the year. So I will hold out hope that Biden um, can make that promise come true. French Montana has been saying that he's working on a song with Jay-Z, and I already know he's planning on putting the song on his next two albums so that he can go gold right away. If you didn't know, on French Montana's last album, he put like songs from 2016 on there, um, mostly Drake features, just so that his album could go gold on its debut. And I don't put it past him to try something like this with a J feature because a J feature holds a lot of weight considering that he doesn't just get on songs with anybody. So I won't be surprised if he pulls that shit again. I did also want to talk about the Keisha Cole and Ashanti verses. Now, I'm going to be honest, I personally did not sit and watch this full verses. I only caught bits and pieces because my mom was watching it. Honestly, I was over it after they delayed it a second time. But, you know, Twitter... Twitter is good for keeping you in the loop, even if you're not watching. And that's exactly what Twitter did. And Twitter is the best place to be when Versus is on because the commentary is just hilarious. Um, But most people, from what I saw on Twitter, feel that Ashanti won due to Keisha's bad attitude and poor song selection. There were a lot of songs that people said Keisha Cole could have chosen that could have competed with the songs Ashanti played. But for whatever reason, Keisha Cole didn't pick those songs so Ashanti won again I don't have a real opinion on who won because I didn't watch but going into it I felt like Keisha Cole would have won because to me she has more hits but that was not the case um Keisha Cole did end up going on Instagram live afterwards and apologizing for her bad attitude um honestly my friends agree with this. I feel like her attitude ruined the vibe of the whole night, especially because Ashanti overall seems pretty positive. She came into the verses really positive. And, you know, whenever someone has bad energy like that, they will ruin a good time. And I feel like verses is meant for the culture. It's meant to celebrate your music. It's meant for the fans and Keisha Cole being late. And then after being late, having a bad attitude, just threw the whole thing off. Um, So she apologized for it and explained why she was late. I'm not surprised that she apologized for it because she kind of had to. She was looking real crazy. And obviously when artists do verses, usually they have new music around the corner. And I kind of think Keisha dropped new music. I'm not sure if Ashanti did, but I think Keisha Cole did. Obviously when you have something to promote, you have new music coming out. You want the fans to like you. You want to be on the fans' good side. So she had to come out and apologize. I'm not surprised by Keisha Cole's attitude. Um... I've seen and heard things in the past of her kind of not being the nicest person. Um, Most recently, her issues with Kehlani, which I feel like she was in the wrong for. Um, If you don't know a little bit of a background, they have a song together called All Me. Originally, allegedly I should say, because I don't remember if Kehlani confirmed this or not. But Kehlani was working with a rapper named Kamaya. They were friends. They were working on a joint album together. Politics got in the way, so the album got shelved. There was a song called All Me on it. Um, I think Kehlani posted a snippet of it on social media. Fans loved it. Then she decided to have Keisha Cole hop on and dropped it. Honestly, Keisha Cole wasn't needed on the feature because she ruined the song. And and I'm a Keisha fan. Um, But she just sounded like she was screaming on the record. 
kind of like how she sounded when she was singing on verses. And Kehlani decided to put a music video out because the song was a fan favorite, at least until Keisha Cole ruined the song. And when it came time to shoot the music video, I believe Kehlani said Keisha Cole didn't like the way she looked that day. So rather than keeping in her scenes or even filming Keisha, she decided to just film her part. And then instead of playing Keisha Cole's verse in the music video, she played half of the song Change Your Life. Apparently, Keisha Cole had an issue with not being included in the music video and kind of spun the narrative that Kehlani was being a snake and, and, and decided not to have her in the music video. This happened um, last year, so it's a little fuzzy for me, but I kind of think that was the gist of what happened. And when Kamaya and Kehlani eventually had their issues about the joint album being shelved, Keisha Cole kind of got involved and said her piece and was kind of talking shit about Kehlani in a way I felt like was unwarranted because, you know, I feel like Kehlani did the respectful thing of, okay, Keisha didn't like the way she looked. I'm not going to put her in the music video and um, I'm not going to air out our issues either because, you know, um, Keisha Cole is her OG. Kehlani has said time and time again that Keisha was one of her favorite artists. She looks up to her. She was inspired by her. And there were there are a few other instances of Keisha Cole kind of having a bad attitude. So I'm not surprised that she came in with that vibe, but it was disappointing, especially as a fan. I'm not going to lie. Um, Swiss and Timbaland also talked about Missy finally doing a versus, and Missy has such an incredible um, catalog all the way around her solo work as an artist her writing her producing so I really really wanted someone like Missy to do a versus um, but at, who will she go against I don't know who they have planned for her I suggested Pharrell would be a perfect match but he's just not interested in doing a versus so I don't know who could go against her maybe um, Esther Dean could um, she doesn't have as large of a catalog as Missy does and Missy would win but Esther Dean is the only other person I could think of if Pharrell and JD don't do it because JD most likely would go against Diddy and it wouldn't be as a producer or writer but as a mogul um so Esther Dean is the only one I could think of but you know Swiss and Tim they created this thing they're smart I'm sure they found somebody if they're already talking about Missy doing one but I can't wait I will definitely be tuning into that because I love me some Missy I'd also watch a versus between 50 and game um, and also, like I said, I mentioned Diddy and JD, I would watch one with them too, because I think they would make for really ex um, extremely interesting verses. I think after those two, there's not a verses I think I would want to watch. I'd love to see Usher do one. I know um, Timbaland mentioned that Drake wanted Justin Timberlake and Usher to go against each other. I know I agree with a lot of people who kind of wanted to keep the verses between black people, but Chris Brown already said he won't do a versus, so really Justin Timberlake is the only one who could go against Usher. It would make sense, and I think Usher wouldn't. I don't want to. I don't know if I would say that Usher would completely wash Justin Timberlake. Um, Usher does have a lot more music out, but Justin Timberlake also has the in sync hits as well. So I think they'd be a good match. Usher would still win, but I think Justin Timberlake would be a fine match for Usher. So you know I have to talk about this, and I had such an attitude when I found this out, especially because I had just recorded my episode last week um, with some of my predictions. But Drake had officially delayed his certified Lover Boy album again. This time he didn't provide a new date, which was smart. And although I saw this coming, I'm still majorly ticked off. I think his recovery excuse is bullshit. I think the main reason is that he wants to tour, and I feel like... Um, that's really the reason for his delay because he was just in, um, Barbados, I think it was, on vacation shooting a music video with Meek Mill and Lil Baby and was walk seemingly walking around just fine. So I really do think that the knee is an excuse and I just have to laugh because nobody is buying it. Not even Drake fans are buying it. Um, academics did say that, um, Drake, the main reason that I guess that Drake gave academics was that... You know, because he had surgery on his knee and had to recover, he fell behind on the album rollout. He didn't shoot the music videos that he wanted to shoot. And so he reasonably couldn't make the January date. He also said that Certified Lover Boy won't come out any later than April. So I'm expecting him to drop in April by the latest so that I don't get my hopes up. I would be really surprised if he drops next month. I know some people think that he's going to try to drop around Valentine's Day to keep up with the Loverboy theme. I think he gave academics the April date so that if anything else comes up, 
he won't keep pushing back the album. I think that's um, what a lot of artists do these days. They kind of just give out a, a month or a year so that they're not bound by a specific date. So when things like this happen, they don't keep they don't have to keep delaying things. I know some people feel like at this point Drake should wait to the summer, but I think that's a bad idea. He already dropped the lead single Laugh Not Cry Later in September. It was either August or September of last year. It really doesn't make sense for him to wait all the way until the summer to drop. He already has delayed this album a few times now, so at this point he has to drop before the summer. And worst case scenario, Drake will probably either drop another project before the year ends or another project in 2022 so that when he can tour, he has all this music to um, perform, even Darkling demo tapes. But until Certified Lover Boy drops or Drake drops a new single, I'm done talking about this topic. I'm done worrying about when Certified Lover Boy is coming. I'm just going to wait impatiently. Moving on from Drake, Normani and The Dream are working together on music, and I just want to know, will we ever even hear it? At this point, like I've said a few times now, I'm sick of hearing about Normani in the studio. I'm sick of producers and writers talking about working with her. I'm sick of her posting pictures of herself in the studio. At this point, we need the music. I don't want to keep having singles that go nowhere because at this point, all the singles that she's released so far cannot reasonably make this album because they are too old. I love motivation. I still do, but it's not enough to hold me over. We just need an album at this point. When she drops her next single, it has to be a proper lead. It has to be properly promoted, all of that shit, so that she can put out her album because she's running out of time. I feel like she's already missed her window. I will be listening regardless because I am a fan of hers and I do feel like she has a lot of potential, but at this point, her potential is just being wasted. So I don't want to hear about her being in the studio. Um, I don't want to see pictures of her in there. I just want to hear an album. Victoria Monet is dropping a new song called F-U-C-K <laughs> on February 1st, which means Jaguar Part 2 is probably coming in the next three months. I think based on how Jaguar Part 1 sounded, it would be really dope if she dropped Part 2 around Valentine's Day, but I don't know how realistic that is because her due date is in February. Um, but the fact that she's, it's kind of easy for her to still drop music despite her being pregnant and her being a mother to be because Jaguar in its entirety was already recorded. Um, so her dropping new music left and right is not going to be a problem for her. I'm sure because she is a mommy to be part three, more likely, um, some of the content and the music has probably changed to reflect, you know, what she's going through right now. Not to say what she's going through, because that kind of sounds like she's going through something bad, but to reflect her, you know, being a mother now, I'm pretty sure part three has changed a lot. But when she announced that she had new music coming, I was super excited, um, because I, I forgot to mention that you know, Jaguar parts two and three were on my most anticipated albums in the first episode of season two, but trust and believe they're definitely on the list because I absolutely loved part one. I think I spent half of the first season of my show talking about how good this project was. It was definitely the best project, one of the best projects released last year. So I know parts two and three are going to be equally as good because this is essentially one whole album. She's just breaking it up into um, digestible parts. So I can't wait to see, to listen to F-U-C-K. I wonder if it'll top Dive because Dive was really sensual and it gets lauded. Well, Victoria Monet in general gets lauded for how she brings her um sexuality to music and how her music is just effortlessly sensual so i know f-u-c-k is definitely going to be crazy and um we'll see if there are any songs on part two that top dive and moment the weekend is releasing a greatest hits album titled the highlights ahead of his super bowl performance i think the weekend has he hasn't i think at this point yeah because i think he came out with his debut mixtape or at least part one of that mixtape in 2011. So he's been in the game for 10 years. And I think it's um, incredible that he's already able to put out a greatest hits album and that it makes sense for him to put out a greatest hits album because The Weeknd has so many important records. Um, and I think that it's the perfect time because, again, he is performing at the Super Bowl. There is a lot of chatter surrounding The Weeknd because After Hours was incredible. Blinding Lights still hasn't left the top 10 since in almost over a year. And, you know, the Grammys definitely did him dirty by snubbing him. So I feel like all eyes are on him right now. So it's a perfect opportunity for him to put out a Greatest Hits album. I'm not mad at it. JoJo is also releasing a new song called American Mood, and it's dropping this Friday. 
I wasn't expecting more new music from her this year, but I'll definitely take it. Good to Know was a really good album, and since she was forced to cancel her tour, like I mentioned um, earlier, she has plenty of time to make another album, and she most likely will. SZA's new song, Good Days, debuted at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100, and I gotta say, it's refreshing to see a song that got so much hype before its release actually live up to fan hype and perform well. Like I mentioned, Kehlani... Um, song All Me when she released the snippet that had a lot of hype but then when the song came out it the song didn't match its hype not a lot of people supported the record I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Keisha Cole wasn't a good fit for the song anyway it's refreshing to see Good Days do well because fans really wanted the song for a long time and I think it's frustrating when people overhype a record and then it comes out and they don't really support it I do think 2021 is going to be a good year for SZA Good Days is doing well. I anticipate it moving up in the top 10 in the future. Um, She's already talking about asking Frank Ocean to get on the remix, which will cause the song to chart even higher because I think SZA and Frank Ocean, I'm not sure if they've worked together in the past, but based on the music that they both make and their voices, I think that a collaboration between them um, would be successful and it would sound really, really good. And if she releases her unreleased song, which... Um, she tweeted today is a um, priority for her. She has a unreleased song. She posted a snippet of it on TikTok and it went viral. And I definitely think that song will do well too. She said the song was called Shirt. And people have already been, you know, creating the little TikTok dances to it. Um, and I think that these two songs will all lead to a highly successful album. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if SZA is planning on dropping an album or she's kind of just in a droplet era where she's just dropping Lucy singles but even if that was the plan originally because Good Days is doing so well and Shirt has gone viral on TikTok I think it's a smart idea for her to um, release an album and I think that this album is going to be super successful and like I said um, this is going to be a good year for SZA. Jason Derulo also dropped a new song um, it's called Lifestyle and it features Adam Levine and Maroon 5 and the production sounds nearly identical to Katy Perry's song, Harley's in Hawaii. The song is pretty basic to me, but it's still a solid pop record and will probably do extremely well on the radio because it does have a lot of radio appeal. And Maroon 5 practically runs pop radio these days, and Jason has major TikTok popularity. And these days, TikTok will really push records, even if they're not that great. So I won't be surprised when Lifestyle debuts in the top 20 at least on billboard next week uh the song does have potential to grow on me i've only listened to it a couple of times so far but i do like harley's in hawaii and i do think the production on um lifestyle is good so we'll see wale was also among the many artists that released new music he has a song called good vibes and i'm not a huge fan of wale like that but i really do like this song I love the conscious messages. Wale always does this really well because he did it really well in the song Guard Your Heart that was on Big Sean's Detroit 2 album and he had the standout verse to me. So um, I don't listen to Wale a whole lot, but I kind of think that's his thing. So that shouldn't be a surprise. I also do like the production on the song. My favorite lines are, quote, you see my culture expensive. That's why they pander to us. It be you Terry Crews niggas tap dancing for that. I never let nobody lesser treat me lesser than them. And I really do like this line because he's speaking facts. They, black culture is the, I feel like I can say this, I feel like it's the top culture that gets stolen from, um, from non-black people. And it's frustrating, especially because some of these people that do this um, aren't always great allies to us. So it's like they steal their culture to benefit and make money off of it. But when it's time to really speak up, um, and speak out for us, they remain silent or they say ignorant shit. Um, and I really do like that he included Terry Crews in this because Terry Crews is such a coon. And it's I have him blocked, so it could be that Terry Crews is still tweeting crazy things that I just haven't seen. But Terry Crews was really pissing me off with a lot of the shit that he was tweeting last year. So I like that dig at him. And I also like this line, quote, I mean, the money be cool. I did amazing this year. I mean, I'm famous, but I'm drained. I need some prayer for real. A nigga tired. And I know I touched on this earlier in, in the episode of just as black people were drained. Um, and so I really felt this line. I don't know if Wale has planned to drop an album, but I feel like a lot of artists will be dropping an album this year. I tweeted that I believed 
that this year and even next year are going to be busy years for music. Just a lot of artists playing catch up and trying to make up for the pandemic kind of fumbling their bag and preventing them from touring and also making music, creating art gives them something to do. So I won't be surprised if Wale has plans for an album this year. I don't think he dropped one last year, so I guess he's kind of due for one. Adele's 21 album celebrates 10 years. Time really flies because I remember listening to this album and some of these songs for the first time. It feels like yesterday. Adele is the only artist today that manages to combine pop and soul extremely well together. You can definitely hear Whitney Houston's um, influence on her music. There are so many important records on this album that have aged flawlessly. It's truly a modern day classic. The way Adele is able to invoke her audience's emotions through her music is a mind-blowing skill, and while returning to this album, it still sounds so fresh. So in honor of 21 turning 10, I wanted to revisit five of my favorite songs. So I want to start off with Rolling in the Deep. You know I had to start with the first track on the album and the first song I ever heard off of this song. I think this was the lead single, but I'm not sure. I heard it on the radio on my way to school and fell in love with it. It's such a statement record for a lot of reasons. One, it's warning her ex-lover that there will be hell to pay for doing her wrong, and also, it's such a high-energy and bold record that introduces Adele to a wider audience and shows that she's here and she's not going anywhere. Adele is known for her ballads, but Rolling in the Deep proves that she can pull off high-energy stomping records like this, and she does it well. My favorite lines are, quote, Go ahead and sell me out, and I'll lay your shit bare. See how I'll leave with every piece of you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. I just think that also another skill of Adele's is that she's a really, really good writer and she works with good writers. And having someone tell you that they're going to leave with every piece of you and to not underestimate the things that they can do to you, it's just really a definition of a woman scorned and Adele's not taking um, her ex-lover shit anymore. So like I said, Rolling in the Deep is a really bold record and it was a, a smart way to start off the album. The next song I want to talk about is Rumor Has It, another high-energy stomping record. Seriously, I absolutely love the drums and it helps gives the song it helps give the song edge and helps lead the song. I also love how fierce and witty the lyrics are. Um, I also love the melodies and background vocals on this track. That's also another thing that Adele does really well, but I think most singers are really good at that. I've never seen Adele live, but I'm pretty sure this song sounds insane live, considering how live the track already sounds. And you know I have to mention this, but Glee did an incredible mashup of this song with Someone Like You. Um, Amber and Naya did their damn thing. It The songs were already popular themselves, but I, I do believe that the Glee mashup elevated the songs even higher. I remember Adele talking about the mashup and saying that she loved their rendition so much and that she couldn't wait for Amber Riley to drop her own album. And back in the day when Glee would cover songs, it would help the songs and the artists gain more popularity. It would push the song. Um, And I think that's what makes me love uh, Rumor Has It even more to the point where sometimes when I hear the original, I'll start singing the Glee version um, and I'll start mashing it up with someone like you. So thankfully when I've done that, none of my friends have been around because they would pro- unless they watched the show, they would look at me crazy like, what are you doing? That's a completely different song, but they really, they really mashed up those songs together really well. My favorite lines are, quote, you make my heart melt, yet I'm cold to the core, but rumor has it I'm the one you're leaving her for. And again, I really just like these lines and they stood out to me because they're super witty. Moving on, I want to talk about Set Fire to the Rain. What I love the most about this song is how grand the production is and how it slowly builds up to that until the chorus hits. Adele's vocals also sound so powerful and it adds to the drama of the song. Adele always has clever and witty ways of talking about heartbreak in her music and it never sounds cliche and Set Fire to the Rain is a great example of that. My favorite lines on this track are, quote, but there's a side to you that I never knew, never knew. All the things you'd say, they were never true, never true. And the games you'd play, you would always win, always win. Just because I think I like the melody of this part of the record. So I think that's probably why the lines stand out to me. And it's always my favorite part to sing too, if I'm listening to the, the song in the car or in my room or whatever. The next song I want to talk about is Love Song. Apparently this song is a cover, which I just recently found out. 
but I don't care to hear the original because I can't imagine it being better than Adele's rendition, and I know that's really ballsy to say because usually you like the original version of the song, but I think that if Adele covered any most records, I would like that version the best because she's got an incredible voice. The title fits the song because Love Song is such a beautiful and sensual love song. It makes me want to fall in love every time I hear it. And her vocals are so soft but still strong. And the guitar and light percussion suits her voice so well. I think when you have an incredible voice like Adele's, you don't need production to kind of overshadow it or take away from it. You want her voice to stand out and it definitely does on this. It's just a true highlight on this album. Definitely one of my favorites. Well, duh, it's on this list. My favorite lines are, quote, Whenever I'm alone with you, you make me feel like I am home again. Whenever I'm alone with you, you make me feel like I am whole again. Just because I think it's really sweet to tell someone that you love that um, you're so comfortable around them that it makes you feel like you're home. The last song I wanted to talk about on this list is Someone Like You, which I'm sure is not a shock. I think if you love this album, Someone Like You is definitely going to be one of your favorite um, records off of this album, just because to me, it's the best song on this album. It's a true standout. And this is definitely my favorite Adele song of all time. It's just so achingly beautiful. She's able to express her emotions in her music and in her vocals extremely well here. It's not an easy thing to do, and she's one of the few artists that can do it well. Everything about this song is perfect to me. Her vocals, the lyrics, the emotions, just everything. To me, Someone Like You is the best breakup song of the 2010s. The piano is simple on this song, but it's perfect because Adele's voice is the standout part about the song. It's also what makes the song so beautiful. You can just really hear and feel her pain. My favorite lines are, quote, Never mind, I'll find someone like you. I wish nothing but the best for you, too. Don't forget me, I beg, I'll remember, you said. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. Just because I think someone like you goes beyond talking about a lover scorned or someone doing you wrong. It's about, I feel like someone like you captures the whole, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, or I love you, but love isn't enough. And when you move on to the next person, I just hope that you don't forget me. And that's just, to me, makes someone like you stand out from all the other records about heartbreak in the 2010s and just possibly in general. Like I said before, 21 is a modern day classic and will go down as one of the most important albums probably ever. There are rumors floating around that Adele will be starting her album rollout next month, which I hope is true. She was supposed to center her album rollout around the Grammys, and even though the Grammys have been delayed to March, there's still a chance she may drop her lead single next month. After revisiting 21, I'm definitely even more excited for a new Adele album. There are also rumors that she's going in a different direction sonically with this album than she ever has before, and I'm glad that she is because every artist should evolve and grow and change things up, and I think Adele gave us a lot of... I don't want to say the same, but kind of the same, but it didn't get old. It worked for her. But I think that if she kept going in the direction of the 20 of the 19, 21 and 25 albums, it would have got old after a while. Um, also, it makes sense for her to go in a different direction sonically because she admitted that 25, like 19, 21 and 25 were a part of a trilogy. And after 25, she was kind of done naming her albums after her current age at the time. So um, it makes sense that not only is she getting away from the trilogy by name and title, but she's also getting away from the trilogy um, sonically as well. I do think, and I and I didn't consider this until someone brought it up on Twitter, I do think that Adele's upcoming album is also a factor for Drake delaying the certified lover boy. It's no secret that Adele sells really well in high numbers 21 is known as the best and the highest selling album of the 21st century and you know white artists always sell more than black artists because they say white people buy music more and you know white people are the majority they're going to support other white artists so i definitely think that drake drake is also friends with adele but even outside of their friendship in the industry artists know when other big artists or just artists in general they know when everyone is dropping even if we don't know and i'm pretty sure drake had the heads up of hey adele's dropping let's kind of avoid being around or near her um release date so that i don't get overshadowed and that's not to say that drake isn't a big artist he is but drake is not outselling adele so i do think that after someone mentioned it that adele may play a tiny factor in drake delaying his certified lover boy album but who knows
Before this episode ends, I want to talk about the song of the week. And the song of the week is Freaky Girls by Megan Thee Stallion featuring SZA. Freaky Girls is one of the best songs off of Good News. I think Juicy J did his damn thing on the production, but that's not a surprise because Juicy J and Megan have good chemistry. And to me, Freaky Girls should have been the next single. It has good radio appeal. And also, it's one of the best songs, like I said, on Good News. And I think that it's a way better single choice than Cry Baby. SZA is probably my favorite part about the song. Her voice just sounds so good. And her runs and her background vocals are just smooth as fuck. There's this part in the second, in Megan's second verse where she's like singing in the background and it just sounds heavenly. I just love this record and I've had it on replay ever since the album came out, but especially recently I've been playing the song nonstop. But I definitely want to say check out the song if you haven't heard it already, though if you're a fan of either artist you probably have, but if not, definitely check out the song. I think it's worth the listen. We've come towards the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to me rant for an hour or so. Um, If you want to support my podcast further, definitely head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. There's a link to all of my social medias there. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you can write from my website. Also, if you love this podcast as much as I love this podcast and you want to help me take it to a new level, then definitely donate to my listener donations. You can find that on my anchor page and you can also find it on my website, which is again, www.listentomespeak.com. If you don't have a Twitter, you can also also follow a live stream of my tweets right on my website as well to stay in the loop. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.